Hello there, friends. I'm Richard Kisman. We all knew it was coming. Adulthood, relationships and marriage, business, health, money, bills, fitness. If you're like me, we didn't think that life would come at us like this. I welcome you to join me for raw, authentic, and hopefully really fun conversations about coming into your own as an adult and to help you create a powerful life of your design. This is the Adulthood Revisited Podcast. Hey there, friends. How's it going? Welcome back to the Adulthood Revisited Podcast. I'm glad you're here with me. Uh, I'm your host, Richard Kisnan, and today I'm actually very excited uh, to bring on our guest. Uh, this is coming, this is going way back, actually, d- diving into the past. Um, and for someone who has actually my mentor for a while, uh, while we spent some time together at, in college and undergrad in uh, Albany. So, Michael D. Simone, uh, VP. Uh, Corporate Counsel for Prudential. Uh, Michael, how are you? And welcome to the Adulthood Revisit Podcast, my friend. I am well. Thanks so much for having me. And it's great to uh, see and hear from you after so long. I know. It's, you know, it, it was great. Like, I'll be, I don't remember too much of that time because it was a quick, like, year or so. But uh, I just do remember that, Mike, you were so calm, cool, collect, like, and I couldn't have a better person assigned to me as to help me navigate you know, that, that space and that realm pre-law and whatnot. Um, so I, if I didn't thank you then, I want to thank you now. Um, and I think we've, we've maybe touched base a, a handful of times between now and then. Um, so it's, it's really awesome now for me to reach out to you and uh, us get connected and really have you share your story here with uh, this new endeavor that, that I'm undertaking. Yeah, no, that's great. And it's funny because I remember, I don't know if you remember, but you were my little in the, right. in the frater- pre-law fraternity. We were both members of a pre-law fraternity. And I still remember when we were going through the list of pledges and everything and they were matching up people. I thought it was just so funny. Everyone was like, you and Richard, it's because com- I, I think we have very similar kind of demeanors and personalities. So it, it just worked out well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so let's jump to this because I, I kind of want to jump into where you've been, how, how things have been for you. Um, you know, this is a, I guess essentially we're playing catch up with each other over our over the audience so it's gonna be very fun yeah. um so why don't you share a little about you know your background where you got where you are today and, and sort of what you know what the road looks looked like for you uh to get to where you are yeah sure so i started out uh went to high school in new york um went to uh suny albany um majored in criminal justice which was interesting with my time at Albany, I actually did a 3-3 law program, which allowed me to do three years of undergraduate and then start law school my senior year of college, which kind of looking back on it as I go through the timeline, you'll see it's, it, it was kind of a really key moment, I think, uh, seeing kind of the time when I started work and the financial crisis hit, it made a huge difference. Um, then after my senior year of SUNY, I started Albany Law School, where I was there for three years, and then I went right into uh, working for a big firm in Midtown Manhattan for about seven and a half years. And then at that point, I made a switch to go in-house and I worked at uh, two different insurance companies uh, since then. Uh, let, me, let me ask you this. I want to jump into working in your initial job out of law school because that's, I think I was sharing with you a little earlier. Uh, it wasn't on my radar. It wasn't something that happened in my life. What was, what was that life like and especially preparing you for now i mean that's often the case that you'll see uh corporate lawyers end up moving in-house and whatnot but what 
did did you did you did it take some time to understand why that's such a common transition or was it something you you just felt was going to happen sooner than later what was what was it like the experience and then moving over to in-house yeah no that's that's really interesting you asked that because i had you know, kind of going in i had already going into the law firm i always kind of heard those stories too if it's sort of a natural transition to go in-house but i didn't really understand why or you know kind of why it happened but right sort of the law firm model is such that you start out with a big a big class right um comes in maybe 60 people and it's sort of it evolves as sort of a pyramid right and you get you they you lose a few people the first year third year you lose some more and then it gets smaller and smaller when i was sort of a seventh year eighth year um there was literally i think two or three people in my department still standing right from when we started back in the summer of 07 um so you know, I got to a point in my career, I think, where I was really looking at it. I had kids, um, you know, big laws, a lot of hours, a lot of time. Um, you're always plugged in, always working more or less. And um, I was also looking at kind of my career trajectory. And I was, you know, everything was going fine. I was getting fine reviews, but I wasn't exactly seeing, I think, the trajectory that I was hoping for. You know, I was doing interesting work at the firm. I got some really, really great cases representing pharmaceutical manufacturers. I even worked on a U.S. Supreme Court case um, in 2013, which was really wow. phenomenal. I got to see the oral arguments and I worked mm -hmm. on the brief. Wow. Um, yeah, it was awesome. I got great experience, but then, you know, you get to a point where you look at your career and you're weighing sort of the salary versus your time at home and really wanting to know where you want your career to go. So what's interesting is a job, I, there was a few people reaching out to me here and there because usually the sweet spot for the move is from three to seven years in the law firm. So I was that kind of at the tail end of needing to make that decision. And I had some people reaching out to me, kind of sending feelers saying, hey, what do you think about this? And, you know, things kind of looked interesting, but nothing really jumped out at me. And then one day I remember I got to reach out someone like an insurance company, right? Which was interesting because I had seen the posting and I completely passed over it, right? Because the way it was written was, you know, we need someone who has good, you know, experience with insurance companies and insurance law. So I didn't even look at it. But what, I guess what happened was the company had posted the listing originally trying to secure the position using internal resources, right? Yeah. And then I guess their policy was after some time, they hire outside firm to do the recruiting. Um, and he reached out to me and said, hey, I know we spoke about other matters, but what do you think about this? And I told him exactly that. I said, look, it's, I don't really think I'm a fit for it. And he said, well, I found out that the company kind of changed their stance on this. And instead of being focused on the competencies, the specific competencies of insurance law, they want someone with good core skills. They want someone who can read well, who can write well, who can speak well, who can articulate well. So that was interesting to hear. And what I learned from that is kind of when you look at a job posting, I'm making a switch there may be something going on in the background that you're not aware of, right? So it's always important to keep your mind open and not just click through it just because, hey, maybe they're saying they need this or that or whatever the specifics are. So at the time, I knew nothing about insurance at all. Knew nothing other than I had insurance myself. <laughs> Literally nothing. So I went on the interview and it was really interesting because they were very much, I you know, kind of acknowledged that fact, but really what they were looking for, like I said, was good core skills. They said, you can learn this stuff. I worked with very complex clients at the firm and they were like, you can learn this. It's not rocket science, right? So them having faith in me and I was basically selling myself, right? And I was taking a bet on myself that I could do it. So that's kind of what that transition was like for me. And, and I went from being a litigator, I was a commercial litigator to in-house, right? And 
you look at that and that in and of itself, I think is kind of a, an interesting change. But what I did was I used some of the core skills that I learned as a litigator to kind of parlay into that corporate counsel position yeah. and say, look, I, I now, instead of being on the back end of the problems, right, when we're litigating, I'm on the front end, I'm in with the business and I'm able to kind of work issues and foresee problems. So that that's sort of how I made that transition and just the company just taking a different stance on how they're hiring, right? And, and what they're looking for. And because they had told me, they're like, we, the applicants we were getting before you, I feel like I could get someone better who bumped into the street on me on Sixth Avenue, right? So it was so interesting to see how the mentality of, of how they're hiring shifted, that they were less focused on the specific substance of what they were hiring for versus let's get someone with the skills. You can't teach good skills, but you can teach subject matter. And I think that's really what, what you know, gave me that into that company. That's actually pretty fascinating. I mean, especially in the context of, of where and what we're living in right now, where, you know, lots of people, myself included, uh, trying to figure out like what the next move is, whether they've been let, let go, furloughed, whatever it is. Um, and, you know, I, I have people in, in my circles that are, they spend every day searching through job postings, job listings. And it, it's, it's fascinating because you may be thinking, well, this is all there is out there, but the employer itself or the business may not even know what they're looking for. In your case, like it sounds serendipitous that you knew that they're the cabining in which, or, or the way the job posting was cabined wasn't a right fit for you. But then it, it you know, somehow, some way they realized that they don't need subject matter. Like I agree, like you can learn subject matter, but it's actually the, the skills of doing business and navigating those problems front end that they realize they need more than um than what is and it, it that wouldn't have occurred unless you know it's fascinating had they hired someone they wouldn't have realized that until there was another i i'd gamble that that person leaves in a mm -hmm. year or so and then they, they have the same vacancy again um yeah yep. it'd be curious to know what kind of if they did any kind of um i want to say assessment about that opening and how what their hiring process was like before they they shifted their focus on what they're actually looking for. Yeah. And I think what precipitated what was actually a new general counsel coming in that kind of said, I know kind of here's what your hiring strategy was, but let's look at it from a different angle. Let's yeah. see if we can. And that, I think that's kind of what it was is we're not looking for right. Like necessarily subject matter experts. Cause a lot of times you're overly limiting yeah. your pool, right? It's sort of taking a longer term view of the position and saying, we're not hiring for, you know, the competency of the specific subject matter, but we'll build this person. And to me, that that mentality is really showing a faith in the applicant and and kind of giving you the benefit of, look, we, we're also, you're betting on yourself making this move, but we're also betting on you as well. And we're in it for the long haul. That's kind of the message I got. And it was really interesting. Like I said, I literally saw the position, completely clicked through it. I looked at it, saw the bullets, didn't think twice. But again, that insight, um, into from a headhunter kind of just picking up the shooting me notes saying hey what do you think about this uh, they're taking different stance was invaluable information and I think that's one of the things that's really really important when people are looking to make a job change is don't feel like you're limited to monster.com or any of these websites right one of the like I had when I was kind of poking around and looking one of the things I did was just did kind of reach out to alumni made connections because I, you know, everyone is getting the same resumes in on the same job postings, but really where you can distinguish yourself and make some headway is if you just kind of poke around and talk, maybe there's a position that's going to be opening up and you can get someone's ear ahead of time and they'll think of you for it. 
Yeah. So a lot of the hirings, I think, uh, that are most effective are kind of working your connections um, and making a spreadsheet. Who you talk to? When did you last follow up with them? And working every angle you can to kind of get get your name out there, get get that get inside people's heads. So when something does come up, you'll be the first person they'll kind of think of. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this: If you can touch on a little about like what what your life is like now and and what that what that world exit. I mean, I. I I'll be frank. I don't know what in-house, the, the like in-house or general counsel role, like the day-to-day -day is, and and the way you see transactions. Can you share a little insight about what? I mean, the, like the work that I do with my clients and my practice, it's all consumer-based work. So real estate transaction here, or some kind of court action there, um, which is completely different from, let's say, generally stereotypically speaking, the the in-house role. So what what is life like for you? Because um, I'd like to know. <laughs> Yeah, so I think just going from a firm, of when I was at a firm, right, kind of being an associate, you would get, uh, I wouldn't have as much client interaction, right? I would maybe, some one of the partners would flip something down, I would do a specific research assignment and move on, or I would be put on a case, but the in-house role is so different in that you're really, they're my, like my business partners are my clients, but I'm also, I'm working with them, right? Like our, our sleeves are rolled up and we're in the trenches together. It feels very much like kind of under, having a keen understanding and more, much more so I think in-house than when you're working at a firm is understanding what is the business. There are times when we need, as in-house lawyers, you need to know the business as well or better sometimes even than your business clients. Because what you realize is your business clients uh, have jobs, they have things they need to do. They're not there to talk to lawyers all day, right? So you need to make sure your guidance is quick effective on point right and at a firm you may have time i'm going to write a you know five page memo and research. you don't have that luxury a lot of times in-house there are decisions that are being made on the fly very quickly uh, emergencies arise you kind of need to work through it but in terms of the type of work i do specifically um, i actually work uh, with group insurance so a lot of the stuff i'll do is looking at legislation how does it impact the business does it apply to the business reviewing claims, claim denials, and doing legal analysis, um, working with underwriting, just kind of giving general general guidance. Um, was, there an, was there an error that happened that we need to kind of correct and remedy? What's the risk associated with that? Um, and also where I work too, there's we'll do a lot of work with sort of enterprise level counsel. So there's two types. There's business counsel, which is me, which is I support the products. And then enterprise counsel will have special counsel for ERISA issues privacy issues, um, litigation, right? I can consult, <clears throat> consult with litigation. So there's a whole swath of support. So basically the in-house lawyer, you're kind of the quarterback on things and a, an issue will come to you and I'll have to know who do I need to reach out to to get the answer. Um, but yeah, it's just really interesting. I like it a lot because you really get really solid relationships with your clients and you just learn so much about the business and it's really been fulfilling because it, it really feels uh, appreciated much. I, I think much more so and maybe at a firm where you're kind of right in there and you make day-to-day -day impacts that you can see that are very palpable as opposed to maybe you do a research assignment at a firm, you throw it into the abyss and maybe you hear what happens, maybe you don't, but this is much more sort of in your face, sleeves rolled up, like I said, kind of in the trenches type of work. Can you share, I mean, you touched on this a little bit and I, like I admit, and one of the struggles that I've had, and I don't know what it is because I think I'm, I'm a personable individual, but um, I've struggled with mainly with like networking and effective network. Let me say that. And so you mentioned that, you know, it, 
in the past, you've reached out to your network and also in your role now as general counsel uh, or in the general counsel's office that it's a lot of networking with um, and, and being shoulder to shoulder with your clients and whatnot. How does, how does networking fit in your world and, and like, what is that like for you, um, that experience? Yeah, so network, it's interesting. So as a, as, a count, as a corporate counsel for a product area, right, I have very good experience with my own clients and kind of day to day, but it's, it's sometimes easy to get lost in the shuffle and not get exposure. So I always look for opportunities when there's a matter that has cross, you know, kind of cross matter, cross product issues, um, trying to get on that, um, <clears throat> trying to establish kind of more personal relationships with your clients. <clears throat> and kind of being try just trying to be the go-to person because sometimes something will come up from a different product area and you want to be that person that someone says hey Mike worked on this or Richard worked on this I think they would be good to reach out to <clears throat> so a lot of it is really getting in touch with that kind of get get a reputation and get the perception for being that kind of go-to person and I think what gets lost a lot is really understanding the business of who you're representing whether it's in-house or you're at a firm or you're a solo practitioner, because what you'll see and what I saw being in-house is to me, the key, the keystone of, of that type of success is when you'll get a phone call on non-legal guidance. And to me that, that there were like, when I was at my prior care insurance company, they actually asked me to run a project that was more, more so on the side of this is kind of a business issue, but yeah. they had such confidence in me in terms of my knowledge of the product and the regulatory and legal environment that they said, we really want you to run with this. So I think it's kind of getting to that point and getting as knowledgeable, attending CLEs, do your own research on the outside, staying on top of news that's affecting your client or clients. And to me, that's really where yeah. you need to get to, to kind of build your network. Let me ask you this. Do you have any, this is a selfish question. Um, do you have any suggestions on how to, how to generate or foster those kinds of relationships. Cause I, 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 my struggle has always been, I, not always, but I think I often keep clients or even potential, let's say prospects or at arm's length. Like my relationship with you is strictly one of, of business. And I, I, I don't know why I keep such a huge like, boundary between that. Like the, you can navigate, a business relationship, but also it seems like, like you mentioned, these clients reached out to you, not as, not as like uh, corporate in-house, but as a counselor, right? Like you have the skill set, they like the way you work and they want you to run with this project. Um, any, any suggestions on maybe honing those skills or if someone out there, like I'm speaking to me, um, networking or navigating that kind of relationship with a client is isn't a strong suit like whether it's a framework or straight up activities that you think might help crack crack the ice and also you know strengthen that relationship where you do feel comfortable um, reaching out to whether it's client or client reaches out to you for more than whatever the retainer agreement is yeah i, I would say one of the biggest things might be it's kind of hard in today's environment but i know especially when i was at the firm a lot of it was sort of schmoozing right and, and that kind of thing and, and and getting to know someone kind of outside the four walls of the like you said the attorney client relationship i think that's really a way for someone to kind of get to know you um like i said in the COVID environment that's kind of that's kind of difficult but i know that was one of the things even to my current clients now we would have you know lunches just like informal lunches that it would be kind of a strict no 
no work discussed kind of kind of thing and, and the kind of people who kind of get comfortable with you learn more about you as a person also um if your client let's say shares something maybe personal like oh my son did this then kind of similarly open up to them and sort of say hey well and kind of so it's like my clients know my children my clients know my what my wife does and so that kind of thing and opening up and when you kind of see that opportunity not not that you want to you know dump everything on them but kind of gauge the relationship and see as they open up try to open up almost mirror what they're giving you and, and just kind of use that to to open up and, and see if there's any opportunity. But like I said, when I was at the firm, a lot of it was, you know, going to ball games or doing this or inviting someone out for drinks or, you know, and, and that kind of relationship, I think um, you'll be able to build their confidence. And you, I think you'll get a lot more word of mouth type referrals and, and business coming in from that sort of thing. I want to hop on to something that you just mentioned. You mentioned it uh, sort of in, in the beginning as well, like your family life, right? I, I know that it's always been important to you. Um, it's, it's dictated some of the choices you've made, uh, career wise. So I want to ask you, like, I, you know, I think you mentioned you have two children. Um, and what's, what's life been like now? I mean, if, I don't know whenever someone's be listening to this, but we're, a lot of us are working from home. We're still dealing with, uh, lockdown requirements, uh, or quarantine requirements. So what's, if you want to cabinet with, or talk about your career with respect to life, or maybe how your, your family life looking down the road, what that looks like for you. Um, maybe share a little bit about that, how that, you know, affects your decision-making process. Yeah, I think for, I, uh, as far as my current company, they've been really supportive in terms of always communicating, look, this is kind of a crazy time. We know most of you have children that it's kind of hectic. So they've been very good about, if you ever need like some time or you need, you know, to yourself, please, you're always supported. My manager checks in with me once a day. Wow. Yeah, there's no me just really like really really helps sort of manage the craziness as far as sort of parenting you know during this time it's been tough the school actually just ended for us so it's been helpful but it was tough in the morning you know getting up needing to go through uh you know do the work with my kindergartner and then do webexes with her there's overlapping times i have one at preschool they're actually believe it or not doing webexes for preschool as well so a lot of that was kind of managing that and then just kind of being locked up with toddlers is tough. You know, you like, I, I would say too, working from home, the whole working from home thing. Uh, I commute, my commute was about an hour to and from the office and it was a drive. I didn't have public, I don't have public transportation. It's in New Jersey. Um, but a lot of my day, which I missed was sort of having that bookend on my day, right? The sort of cadence of getting up, here's a firm sort of point where my day begins when I get in my car and a point where it ends when I, when I come home. Um, and not having that's been kind of tough to manage because there's always sort of a need, I think, to feel plugged in, or at least I got to answer the email. I got to get the call. I don't want them to think I'm not being responsive or that I'm not doing my work, right? But uh, like I said, my company's been really good about kind of making sure that we're all trying to keep our sanity. Um, I'm lucky we have a, uh, a babysitter who's been kind of sticking with us through it and, and providing the uh, daycare. She's helped um, kind of when she can, you know, uh, help with the schoolwork and been really supportive. Um, and right now, like I'm in my house and like I'm able to, you know, she's able to kind of keep them quiet when they need to be on a call or something. So it's been uh, tough though. I, I don't have children, but some some of the, my, you know, friends, pa friends that are parents have shared with me that one of the toughest challenges that they face um, right now has been not necessarily the, the work, the, the change in their work environment, working from home and having an app, but rather having this extra time because they're home, extra time with children 
and their children not knowing the boundaries. Mm. Um, have you, I mean, you mentioned you had a babysitter and whatnot, but have you, was, has that been a struggle for you or, or a challenge that you and your children have had to navigate uh, during this time? Yeah, at times. I th- it's funny because trying to understand from a child's perspective what's going on, I can't even imagine. It just seems so weird. They understand there's a virus. They kind of get the whole thing that they can't see people. And uh, in the beginning, it was tough. They really weren't, I think, understanding. They just said, oh, daddy's home. Um, before <laughs> the virus hit, though, I did work from home one day a week on a pretty reg. Like, I was able to work from home usually on a- unless something came up. So they kind of got before this they kind of understood the boundary i think of work and when daddy's working when daddy's not working kind of thing but i know for a lot of parents it's been tough because they didn't have kind of that that balance ahead of time or that sort of dichotomy in the house so um they've been pretty good though i have to say they've been pretty respectful and then as as best they can and it's hard because you know from their perspective they just want to play and have fun and you know all the pools are closed the parks are closed it's, it's just really been a struggle more of a struggle i would say to just keep them entertained then at least for me, then it has been to um, really get my work done. They've been decently respectful and <laughs> as much as a father can be respectful and that kind of thing. That's awesome. Um, let, let me ask you this, just your own, your own personal insight. Um, what, you know, you, you've accomplished so much in your life up until now, right? Whatever the, the book on, on Michael D. Simone is going to be filled with accolades, praise and awards. Uh, what else, what else gets you going? Uh, I, I don't know if there are things that like drive you in terms of hobbies or, uh, you know, I know you mentioned that some of your work has, has dealt in that dove, dove into regulatory research and whatnot, but I, I don't know what else, what else drives you um, besides, you know, or work, family, those things are there, but any other things that you, you know, pique your interest that really get you going? Yeah, two things. One is would be exercising. I'm very fortunate. I don't know if you could like I ha- I'm actually sitting. I actually have exercise equipment in my house, so I'm able to uh, actually exercise, and I I really love that. Now, especially with COVID, not being able to get out, it's been really helpful. Love exercising. Um, one and the second thing is interesting. I actually have a I formed an LLC to do online selling. So I sell on Amazon. I sell on eBay, and it started out a couple of years ago, sort of as a side hobby where I would buy things and sell it and find deals and discounts. And it, it, I, after like a year and a half, I was like, Oh, there's some, there's kind of some serious money coming in. I got to kind of set this up. So now I have it set up properly with like an LLC product liability insurance and, and the like, and it's been running pretty well. It's, it's sort of a side thing. It's fun. I like, I enjoy it a lot. It's, it's really fun. It feels like an Easter egg hunt for me looking for deals and flipping stuff and learning about new products and what's hot and buying stuff. It's just it's a lot of fun. That's funny. So <laughs> I did not know that. So I'm glad you shared that. But that's really been my, my thing too. Like I, I kind of realized about myself that I don't want to say I, I don't like being a lawyer, but I don't. I don't know if it's if it's right for me moving forward. And so some of the things that I've I've kind of do like the pod. I do, I do this not for not for money, right? I'm not monetizing this, but it's like fun to like yeah. speak with people in a different context and. Um, get to know their stories and, and have it shared with the world. Like, and the same kind of thing, I'm, I'm diving into digital marketing and it, it's a game, really. It's, a, it's such a fun thing to sit there and like figure out how to make this thing work. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's funny you, you said, I looked into like Amazon, FBA or whatever it is, but it just, it was too rich for my blood. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. When you start out on Amazon, they take a lot of money in fees though. It's really expensive. You kind of have to, so I started out selling on Amazon, but fulfilled by myself where I would ship the items out. And then slowly I was looking, the sales were really slow. 
And then I said, you know what, I have a box of this stuff. Let me just ship it in and see what happens. Because my whole thing was, I don't want to ship it in and then have it sit and get warehouse fees and shipping fees and all that. I sent it in. My box sold out that I was, took me two months to sell, sold out in about two days. Wow. So at that point, I understood the power of that that prime checkbox, really, and that people, it's crazy. Because I was like, I'm shipping it out. They're getting it pretty quickly. But people love that two-day shipping or before COVID, love that two-day shipping. And um, I, I just seeing that sale, the sales drive, I was just like, I got to send as much stuff as I can. So it's been fun. I've been doing it, like I said, about five years. Um, it's been really interesting. I learned a lot about online commerce and uh, product liability. I've had trademark battles. In the, I, I actually got, I got legal letters from people. Uh, I got, I got, I recently, I just had an issue where someone submitted, one of the, my competitors submitted a false claim to get me off a listing saying I was selling uh, fake merchandise, basically. I had to hire, I tried to work it myself. I've had a few of them. Amazon wasn't budging. I actually had to hire an outside consultant because it was such a high volume product to leverage their skills. And I had to write letters to like VPs of Amazon, customer care and every, and it got resolved, but it was expensive, but I learned a lot now, you know, going forward, I can handle it myself. I even trademarked, I submitted a trademark application on my own last year. So it's really fun. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. That's awesome. I'm glad you shared it. I had no idea. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, let me ask you this. Moving, what's, in, in looking back at, at your life up until now, right? You know, I mean, if you want to start looking, going from law school to, to firm work to in-house, um, are there any points at which, like you can look back and say, well, I, I think one that, that pops out is where you went from the firm and, and made the hop over to the GC life. Anything looking back like was as pivotal and you look back at your life like that was a moment where I, I wonder what would have happened if I made a different choice or? Yeah, there's a couple of them. First one, just going chronological order, was the 3-3 program I think I had mentioned to you earlier where I, I did law school in you know I started law school my senior year of college right to me that was critical when I joined my firm in September of 08 the market crashed within two weeks they were there were lawyers fired who had been there it was crazy it was crazy time but looking back on it had I graduated according to the normal course I don't know if I could have got a job in big law to be frank because what happened was the third tier schools were not getting as many positions, right? Because there were less jobs and there were deferrals and everything. So that to me was pivotal because I don't even think I would have landed in big law, to be honest, if I would have not done the three, three. So that was one. And then the second was making that change, like you said, from the firm to in-house where you really looked at it. I, you know, it was a big salary cut. It was really hard. I had a bonus that was due coming soon. Um, I w couldn't put the decision off any longer. So I was giving up a bonus on top of a salary cut. Um, and really that, that was hard because you're looking at that, you know, I have a house, I have a family, I'm kind of used to this income coming in and looking back on it, it was probably one of the best decisions I made because it's just been so, I find, you know, I'm very fulfilled in what the work I do. Um, I feel like my skill set's really been improved a lot. I've been getting much varied work, um, much appreciation from clients and my family life has been great. It's just not, you know, not having to have been plugged in or have that expectation 24 hours a day, working 70 hours a week. It's just, you can't put a price on that. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you have any, so I, I, I think I'm going to frame this question like, like, 
maybe a lot of people feel the same way for maybe in your twenties or so you're chasing, I don't know. I think I was chasing money more than anything else. Um, and then life happened, right? I, like same kind of thing. I think when I graduated law school, I'll never forget this. And I, I just want to share it just because it's the same timeline. I think 2008, somewhere around there. My second year went to like a job fair mm-hmm. where all the firms filled out. I think it was the Marriott in Times Square. Mm-hmm. And the next year was the, like the crash. So there, and I, it was maybe tw- if even just 25% of the firms had shown up mm-hmm. at that job fair. And, and they admitted that they don't know if they're going to hire. There's a job freeze. It was, yeah. it was radical. Um, I don't know why I brought that up, but I know anyways, neither here nor there. So I, I kind of realized that the thing that drives me right now in, in when I'm making choices, right? When I wake up in the morning, what kind of clients I'm working with, what kind of work I want to take, it shifted from, you know, making money or so just that, that singular focus in my twenties to now I just want to be happy. I want to like be happy with the way I spend my time. Do you have any, any Lone Star, I, I guess, qualities or what, what guides you as you make your decisions, you know, on a day to day basis or at large when you're looking at your, 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 the next year of your life or so? Yeah, I would say one thing is balance, always looking at it from a balanced perspective, right? You're never going to get, I think, 100% comfortable with anything. Even when I, like now, when I bought my house, right, I was looking at a spreadsheet. I'm very big on spreadsheets. I spreadsheet all the houses, what's the square footage, what's the cost, what's the school district. You can look at it a million different ways, but I think that one, the key, like you said, touchstone element is getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? Before I had my children, I don't know that I was really ready to be a, be a parent, but you just kind of look at it and you say, you know, the timeline's up and you just kind of got to go for it. So I think it's really, under, you're never going to get the perfect house. You're never going to get the perfect job, right? But I think you have to look everything on balance and really understand what you value and give those attributes more weight and just kind of go with it and, 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 you know, keep a positive attitude. And I think that's really it. I, I, I mean, at least for me, like I said, I've been kind of on a breakneck pace since college. I went from college, started law school early, um, got married, uh, bought a house, had kids, you know, switched jobs. It's just been continue. I look back on the last, you know, 10, 13 years and it's just been crazy. Um, but you just need, I think, to kind of go with something, stay with it. And also, recognize when it's time to change too, right? And not be afraid to say, look, uh, you know, I may be jumping out, jumping off a cliff here, it feels like, but you know, again, have the confidence, I think, to bet on yourself. I think that's, to me, that's the touchstone really, right? Betting on yourself. Because that's what you're doing when you're making a big decision, I think, is that, like I said, you don't know what work out, but you have to have the confidence to kind of put the chips on your card and and kind of throw the die and see what happens. You can check all the variables you can, but at the end of the day, you got to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. Very true. You know, those, as you say that, like every, everything you just said in my mind, I'm like, check, check. Yes. I mean, that's, yeah, that's what's been driving me right now. It's just getting comfortable with what's uncomfortable. And I don't, I don't know whether or not, you know, I could have a plan. Like you said, you can have a billion spreadsheets, but who knows if that, that doesn't mean that's the way the world works, right? The universe yeah. doesn't operate on spreadsheet. Um, Mike, I, I really appreciate this in, in starting to wrap this up. You know, this was a conversation. It, it was a little bit of like two lawyers, two people with like JDs and, and uh, lawyers talking to each other. Uh, me finding out, well, like corporate life and whatnot, but just generally to whoever's listening to this, uh, do you have anything that you want to share 
you know, share with them a, a parting message of sorts. Yeah, no, I would just say thank you very much for listening. I hope everyone, like I said, found this interesting. I've had a really unique journey and I don't take a lot of time to reflect on it a lot. So this was actually really interesting to me, even to hear myself kind of explain the path I've been down. And I would just say to everyone, take time also to kind of slow down and reflect and kind of enjoy the accomplishments you have and not always be as, like I said, it's good to be forward looking and, and to want to know what the next move is, but also to kind of appreciate and sort of understand and and really let sink in what you've accomplished because i think that's a really big part of sort of building confidence to make your next move yeah awesome uh mighty simone thank you so much man i really appreciate it hopefully when things get better i can we can actually catch up in person i would i would actually love that um if anybody wants to wants to get in touch with you uh, what's a great way to get in touch? Maybe LinkedIn or so. I can link that link that up in the show notes. Yeah, sure. You can put my LinkedIn profile, and you know, you can, anyone can send me a message if they want to chat. I'd be more than happy. Um, so yeah. Awesome. Do that. I'll link that up in the show notes. Uh, once again, Michael D. Simone, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. And again, Air Nation. Until next time, take care, be well, and bye for now. <laughs>